Amen. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture. First, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, why don't you go ahead and turn to John chapter 10 as well. Um, we've been teaching a series on authority, the authority of the believer, the authority that belongs to us here on the earth as delivered to us by the Father at the beginning in the creation. Genesis chapter 1, it tells us after God had uh, made the earth in six days, later in the sixth day, God said in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. It is an undisputable fact, not widely accepted, however, but it's an indisputable fact that God created man in his image and after his likeness for the sole purpose of having dominion here on the earth. Another way to say that, and I know this, uh, this makes some people uncomfortable when you say it that way, which may be a good reason to say it. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck this time, but uh, um, oftentimes we need to jog our thinking. Sometimes it takes a little shock to our system to get us to think in a different term. Because we're all used to thinking the same thoughts in the same way, in the same course, over and over and over again. One way to say this, that God created man for the purpose of having dominion on the earth, is that God created man to be the God of this world. Now, when you say that, you have to explain it a little bit, because I'm not saying that we're equal with God in creation abilities. Man wasn't created for that purpose or in that manner. But literally where it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man after our own likeness, in our own image and after our own likeness. Those words image and likeness indicate an exact duplication of kind. God didn't say let's make man a little lower than ourselves. He said let us make man just like us. And he did. Now I'm not exactly sure how that's possible. But the Bible says with God all things are possible. And if God intended for man to be in a different class of being than himself, then he wouldn't have used the words in the original Hebrew that he used. The fact that he said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, he specifically chose, and he didn't have to, but he specifically chose words that denote an exact duplication of kind. Just like everything else, the law of Genesis was that everything produced after its own kind Oak trees produce acorns, which are, when planted in the ground, produce other oak trees. The oak tree that's produced is an exact duplication in kind. There may be different characteristics about one oak tree from another, but they're exactly the same in species and in type. And that's what the Bible says God made us, an exact duplication of himself for the sole purpose of having dominion on the earth. Now, God was, uh, certainly we know that he's the creator of the earth. He's the originator of the earth. He's the creator of the world system. Whatever world system governed the earth when he created it, God was the author of it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? That means God's the owner of the earth. God always has been the owner of the earth. As the creator, he is the owner And he always will be the owner of the earth. 
So he didn't give the earth to man to own. He gave the earth to man to govern and have dominion over. Well, in order for man to have dominion over the earth and over the work of God's hands, that would have to mean that he would have to be the ruler of the system that God established here on the earth at creation. And it's that meaning that I have in mind when I say that God created man to be the God of this world. See, the Bible says now in Second Corinthians, uh, what is it, Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, I believe it is, that says that Satan is the God of this world. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that Satan's the owner of the earth. That belongs to God. What does it mean? It means that Satan is governing this present world system. Now, folks, I hope you understand that this world system is not the same one that God created in Genesis 1. This world system that Satan is the God of has been tainted by sin. It's governed by spiritual death. Jesus called it the kingdom of darkness. He said the whole world lies in darkness until now. That's what Satan is the God of. He's the God of this world system. Now, you remember the story of in uh, chapter 3, I believe it is, how that uh, Satan appears right, unto uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And he questions God's command. God has already told Adam and Eve that they could have the fruit of every tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Amplified, I believe, calls it the tree of the blessing, the tree of blessing and calamity. And God told him, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, what he's saying is, in the day that you eat thereof, this world system becomes corrupted. Your nature changes and the whole system that governs the world becomes corrupted. It's not a new system. It's a corruption of the original system. Well, in chapter 3, Satan appears to him. In the garden, and he questions God. He said, has God said? Has God said? Folks, that's always the way the devil works. He'll always raise questions in your mind as to the words of God or the meaning thereof. So he said, has God said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden except one. The one that's in the midst of the garden, God said, don't eat of it, neither touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, there must have been some kind of attraction. There must have been some kind of enticement to his meaning, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, if they were the rulers of this world system, which they were, then they're already as gods in the earth. They're the highest class of being that there is. You remember we looked at Psalm 8, verse 2, where the angels at creation, when God said, let us make man in our own image and let him have dominion over the works of our hands. The angels said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. You've crowned him with glory and honor and you've put the work of your hands under his dominion and under his control. So the angels are apparently not in the same class as man because they're amazed when God comes up with this idea and declares his idea to make this thing called man. 
So man wasn't made in the nature or after the likeness of angels, but on a higher class of being. It would have to be a higher class of being because if he was making a lower class of being, the angels wouldn't be astonished. We don't have any scripture that says, what is, what is the cow that thou art mindful of him? See, the lower, element, lower animals, the lower species of being, were of no surprise to the angels. But God makes man inserts a, a species of being called man right in between himself and the angels, above the angels, a little lower than God himself in purpose, but not in nature. And the angels are astonished at that. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. You've crowned him with glory and honor and you put the work of your hands under his dominion. Well, why then would Satan use the enticement or the temptation to be God's knowing good and evil when man is already the God of this world system? There must have been something about the knowledge of good and evil that was a temptation to Eve. Well, you know the story. She ate of the fruit of the tree, turned to Adam, who apparently was standing there watching the whole thing. He could have and should have stepped in to stop this in the process before it ever happened. And then he ate thereof, and they fell spiritually. They fell into the dominion of spiritual death. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. In other words, just what God said would happen did happen. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. With death, he's talking about can't be physical death because they didn't die physically. They didn't die for 930 years, or Adam didn't die for 930 years till 930 years after. Well, what death did they die? Spiritual death. The life of God and the light of God within their spirit that made them one with him that made them in his same class of being and that supplied the source of their life and their well-being, that light was extinguished. I can't emphasize this enough. I know I say it over and over again, but I can't emphasize this enough. Once that happened, God lost access to his creation. Now, some people will balk at that because they'll say, well, no, wait a minute. God's all-powerful. God can do anything. Well, first of all, folks, you need to understand God can't do everything. There are some things God can't do. For example, God can't lie, can he? But if God can't lie, then that means there are certain things God can't do. Now, why can't God do certain things? Why are there things that God can't do? Because he's limiting himself by his word. Psalm 138 says God has exalted his word above his name. That means he's limited his power. He's limited his actions. He's limited his activities to what his word says that he will do. Well, one of the things that he's done since he can't lie is that he gave man authority over the earth. If God came in after the fall of man and reworked the system, that would make him a liar. He couldn't come in and retake the authority of the earth 
back upon himself because he's delivered that to man. See, that authority was given to man from the beginning and it's never been rescinded. Now, that's something that's just just dawned on me in recent times because I used to think, and you've probably heard me even say this, I used to think that man lost his authority here on the earth, but he couldn't have lost his authority when he fell. He couldn't have. Because the Bible tells us, for example, many times, many different places, different ways. But for example, in Numbers chapter 14, after Israel comes to the edge of the promised land, the 12 spies go into Kadesh Barnea and spy out the land, the promised land. They come back and they show the fruit of the land and then 10 of them deliver an evil report. You remember the story? 10 of them said there are giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers in their sight and that's the way we see ourselves too. Caleb and Joshua kept a good report and they said, God's for us. He's on our side. Don't be afraid of the people. God will deliver the land into our hands. But the people, the congregation, however many millions of people there were, lifted up their voice and wept that night and began to cry and began to wail and moan and say, oh, it had been better for us to have died in Egypt or to die in the wilderness. Well, God said in Numbers chapter 14, I think it's verse 26, God said that there was an unchanging law. Now, this, this is an unchanging, an everlasting law that didn't begin at that point in time, but that it had always been in, in effect. It began at the creation. He said, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, I will do unto them as they have spoken in my ears. Well, if man lost his authority when he fell in the Garden of Eden, where did he get it back? See, God's saying clearly that man has authority. He's saying through his words, I will deal with mankind. In other words, he's saying his words count here in the earth. Well, there was nothing that happened between Adam and Numbers chapter 14 when uh, Moses is the leader of the children of Israel. There's nothing that's happened there that's given man back authority. It has to be the same authority that God delivered in Genesis chapter 1. has to be. Well, if man didn't lose his authority, what did happen? You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, it says Jesus went about the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues. And the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them how to hold authority. See, Jesus didn't start teaching on authority after he was raised from the dead. He's teaching on authority when he's here in his earthly ministry when man's still subject to the law of sin and death because man still had authority. Well, then what happened? What did man lose? Well, his spiritual nature changed, most importantly. But that's when the corruption of this world system came in. I was thinking the other day, meditating on some of these things, uh, years ago, Probably 10, maybe 12, maybe even longer than that. But anyway, a number of years ago, at least 10, I ran into a situation. Things were a lot different in the computer world then than they are now. Virus software and spyware and malware and all that kind of stuff was different then than it is now, much less advanced. And I had a computer at the office that somehow or another got infected with some computer virus and they worked on it and worked on it worked on it and nobody could do anything about it. 
Maybe we had the wrong people working on it. I don't know. But the bottom line is, I was going to have to wipe my computer clean or get a new computer if I was going to get the thing to work right. Well, we figured, because of the age of the one that I had, that it would be better off for us just to get a new computer. Well, I did. Got a brand new computer. It had all the bells and whistles. It was fast for its day and all this kind of stuff. I was really looking forward to it. This is going to be great. Been dealing with this computer problem for many months. Now, finally, it's going to be behind me and over. Well, I saw an advertisement for a a program that helps you move your programs from your old computer to a new computer when you get your new one. Well, I'm not a computer guy. So I thought, this is great. Look at all the time it'll save me. One program installed instead of doing them all individually and going back and taking them the time to do them again and again and again and all that kind of stuff. Well, you're ahead of me. I know you already know the end of this story. I wound up transferring the old virus to my new computer. That's a brand new computer. Nothing in the world wrong with the computer. But now this new computer is influenced by a virus that controls and limits anything and everything that computer was designed to do. I think there's some similarities to the corruption of this world system when the law of sin and death began to to operate in this world. Nothing wrong with the original system. Nothing wrong with the original earth. But now everything about it is being governed or at least influenced by this computer virus called spiritual death. So what happened? Man didn't lose his authority. But because of the influence of spiritual death, it's now entered into the scene and governs everything about the operation of this earth and the world system that God created. Now thorns and thistles begin to grow in the garden. Now sickness and disease become something that man has to be concerned with. Failure, which was never intended by God to be an option, becomes relevant. The system is corrupted. Now we know as a result of that corruption that Satan is is able to govern the the operation of this earth. And just the way, well I told you to turn to John chapter 10. Why don't we go there for, for a moment and see a couple of scriptures there before I continue my comments. Notice that, that uh, Satan's only opportunity to get involved in this world system, to get involved in the operation of this world that's governed by man who's been given authority over the system. His only opportunity to get involved, his only opportunity to step in between God and man is quite simply to get man to misuse his authority. Satan had no authority of his own. His only opportunity to get involved, and unfortunately he was successful, but his only opportunity to get involved is to get man to misuse the authority that God has given him. Now, folks, that hadn't changed. Satan didn't gain some kind of power after this system that God created was corrupted. 
He didn't gain some kind of power to control things. He didn't gain some kind of power to control your life. His only operation, the only way he can be successful in his operation is the same now as it was in the beginning, and that is to get you to misuse your authority just like he got Adam and Eve to misuse theirs. The devil would have you think that he's some big bad dude, but he is completely without authority. He didn't gain authority when sin and death entered the scene. He just corrupted the system. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, beginning in verse 1, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Anytime Jesus said, verily, verily, he's making a point and saying, truly, truly, this is the way it is. Now, the only time you can find in the scripture where Jesus says something, beginning with verily, verily, he's really trying to make a point. In other words, that's a signal that this is not just an ordinary statement. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus is talking about himself as opposed to the devil. He's saying that the devil climbed up. That's an interesting term when he talked about Satan coming in on the scene, upon the scene, in an attempt to get Adam and Eve to misuse their authority. He talked about climbing up. You need to realize something, folks. Satan inserting himself into the world was a step up. It's a step up from the angels. It's certainly a step up from the fallen position that he was in. Because he and a third of the angels rebelled against God. But notice he said, speaking of Satan, Satan is the thief in this verse. He said the thief and the robber was designed or his intent was to enter into the earth and the only way he could do that was through illegal means. Satan is an illegal alien here on the earth. He was in the beginning and he is now. Now things have changed over the last few years where the immigration station uh, conditions of the uh, of the country are concerned and we've got some real problems we're going to have to be dealt with somewhere along the way. And half the country seems to have their minds just completely closed to the dangers of what should be and is called from a legal standpoint illegal immigration. But it's a great opportunity for us to see a spiritual reality and a spiritual truth. Because up until recent times, I think now it's less concerned because of the policy positions of the present administration. But up until very recent times, illegal aliens didn't want to be around people with authority. They would hide from the authorities. Because when those in authority uncover the illegal nature of those aliens they would be in a position to do something about it well the same thing is true spiritually when you come to realize that satan is an illegal alien here in this world system even though he clearly has influence in this world system 
He's the one that brought the corruption to the world system and continues to manipulate it through enticing people who have authority to misuse that authority. When people with authority find those illegal aliens, ideally, legally, those illegals are deported. Well, folks, I would submit to you that that's exactly what Jesus did here on the earth. When he came and operated in his earthly ministry, it says, for this purpose, the Son of Man was was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. He's deporting the devil in his works. Are you with me? I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just using the example. And you may disagree with the the premise but you can't deny the truth of what Jesus did and this is exactly what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10 now for Jesus to say this this has got to be an important point notice what he said let's read verse 1 again he said verily verily I say unto you he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold now the sheepfold is the earth remember David said in the Psalms he said the the We are the sheep of the Lord's pasture. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about entry into the earth. How did Satan enter into this earth? Illegally. His purpose was well defined. The only thing that he could do was take the body of another creature because without a body he had no access into this realm. This world system. So he climbed up through the form of a serpent, the body of the serpent, and spoke to Adam and Eve in an attempt to get them to misuse the authority that God had given them here on the earth. Jesus said, He that entereth in any other way except by the door is a thief and a robber. Jesus said of himself, but he that entereth in, verse 2, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, what is the door? The door is natural birth. Jesus is making a very important point here, folks. And that is, he is saying, I came here legally. This is why the virgin birth is such a big deal. It was legal access into this earth for Jesus to exercise authority. Because if Jesus came to the earth as the son of God, if God had just inserted himself at any point, immediately after Adam fell, or at the time that Jesus was born of the virgin, the timing doesn't matter. If Jesus had come to the earth in any way other than through the virgin birth, he could not have been a legal recipient of the authority that God had delivered unto man. Therefore, God would have broken his own word and the whole universe would have hung in the balance. Now, I want you to see a couple of things talking about dealing with the devil. Look with me over to Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Beginning in verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. 
And they were astonished at his doctrine, for they taught them as one that had authority. This is a verse of scripture that we referred to. We referred to Matthew's account. The wording is better in Matthew than it is in Mark. But he taught them as one that had authority. And not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying. Here's the evil spirit in this man. Saying let us alone. What have we to do with thee. Thou Jesus of Nazareth. Art thou to come to destroy us. I know thee who thou art. The holy one of God. And Jesus rebuked him and said. Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him. Notice that phrase. When the unclean spirit had torn him. And cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much as they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine? Notice they're not focusing on Jesus as an individual. They're focusing on his doctrine. They seem to associate the the, uh, casting of the evil spirit out and the evil spirit manifesting himself with the doctrine that Jesus taught, the teachings of Jesus, rather than the power that Jesus held as an individual. So they said, what new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now there's certain things that we need to keep in mind, and that is, we know that the devil has has influenced world kingdoms since the Garden of Eden. You remember in Daniel chapter 10, for example, it tells us a story of how that Daniel had read in Jeremiah's prophecy about how long Israel would be in captivity to Babylon. It was to be 70 years, as was prophesied by Jeremiah, and that 70-year period is coming to a close. So Daniel sets his face to fast and to seek God about Israel being delivered. Well, after three weeks of fasting... The angel appears to him and says to him that from the first day that you set your face to seek the Lord, I was sent to give you the answer. He said, and I am come for your words. In other words, God's answer was sent and dispatched immediately from heaven to give Daniel the understanding about the the deliverance of Israel from Babylonian captivity. But then he goes further and he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. In other words, he's saying there's a spiritual influence over the Babylonian kingdom. Well, remember the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. That's where our our enemy is. It's in the spirit realm, not in the natural realm. But the Babylonian king is doing some things against Israel. And he's certainly operating wickedly. Why is that? Because of the influence of these evil spirits over him as a ruler and as the king. And the angel that appears to Daniel, who's telling him these things, he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. But lo, Michael, one of the archangels, one of the premier or chief angels, came and helped me. The indication is, if Michael hadn't come to help him, he would have been delayed even longer. I wonder how many times that fits the situations that we're in where people come away thinking that God didn't hear and answer their prayer and in fact they gave up before the answer got through. 
And then they go out and say, well, that faith stuff doesn't work. The Bible can't mean what it says it means because it didn't work for me. Well, now, what is going on there? Satan is certainly operating as a hindrance, an obstacle between God and his man. Now, the devil can't stop things that we hold fast to in faith. But he can delay them, apparently. You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 4. When he was tempted of the devil, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus became hungry. And that's when the devil appeared to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones that they may be made bread. Let me ask you a question. How does the Son of God get hungry? See, unless Jesus was operating here on the earth, he never would have gotten hungry, never would have gotten tired, never would have experienced all the things that we, each of us do as human beings. But it has to be true, and here's just another proof that Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to the earth as a man. He had to do that to be here legally. He has to be here legally to exercise authority. So now when Jesus comes to this guy with the unclean spirit in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1, this evil spirit on the inside of him starts crying out, saying, I know who you are. Now notice who he said that he thought he was. Notice who the evil spirit said that he thought Jesus was. Which verse is it? Uh, Verse 24. The evil spirit said, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now we're running out of time, so we won't take time to, to see this. But there's one place where an evil spirit spoke out to Jesus and said, I adjure thee by God, leave us alone. Now what in the world is an evil spirit calling on God's help? For Jesus to leave him alone for. Well that will make you scratch your head won't it? I didn't know evil spirits were operating. In a position where they could call on God to help. Well they're not. There's got to be another explanation. Well what is that explanation? Very simply the devils know. That God's word is more true than we. As believers accept. He knows that he's here illegally, having followed his master, Satan, into access of this world. And he knows that God has given an unrescinded blessing to mankind to have authority on the earth. So if Jesus is coming to the earth as the Son of God, the Holy One of God, then Jesus is acting illegally. He's acting illegally. And that's what the evil spirits are bringing to attention. See, apparently the devil nor any of the fallen angels had any understanding of the importance of the virgin birth. Jesus rebukes him, tells him to hold your peace. Now that could mean one of two things. Either he's trying to tell the devil, uh, trying to deny the devil any opportunity to speak whatsoever. Or 
he's trying to stop him from identifying him, Jesus, as the son of God. Over and over again, Jesus identified with man, calling himself the son of man rather than the son of God. 60 out of 65 times when Jesus refers to himself, he refers to himself as the son of man. Five times he refers to himself as the son of God, and three of those five are in the same setting. He's identifying with man. Now, was he the son of God? Well, of course he was. He was then and he is now. In heaven, he identifies with God. But when it comes to matters on the earth, he identifies with man. Now, notice the devil tore him. The devil tore this man before he left. That's something the Bible speaks of on several occasions. Notice in verse, uh, skip down with me to verse 34 of Mark chapter 1. It says, And Jesus healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. He suffered them not to speak because they knew him. That it seems to answer the question of the possibilities that we posed just a moment ago. Apparently, he didn't want the devil saying anything about him. He doesn't want the devil revealing his true identity. Now, did Jesus not want people to know that he was the son of God? Certainly he did. But there was something that was more important than Jesus being the son of God here on the earth. And that was that he was the son of man. Look with me over to John chapter 5 real quick. Jesus says something that is of utmost importance. John chapter 5. Notice in verse 26. Jesus said, for as the father has life in himself. In other words, Jesus has the same eternal life. In him here in the earth when he was here in the earth as God has in heaven. For as the father has life in himself so is he given to the son of man to have life in himself. Notice verse 27. And has given him. God has given him authority. To execute judgment also because he's the son of man. Jesus had authority to execute judgment here on the earth. Now what judgment did Jesus execute? Did Jesus go around and say you're a sinner that's it for you and then they died? See, that's the, that's the uh, principle by which most people think of the judgment of God. They think of the destruction of man when they think of the judgment of God. But Jesus didn't come to execute judgment on man. He came to execute judgment on the devil and his corruption of God's system. And Jesus had authority... To execute that judgment on the devil and his works. For this purpose the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He's executing justice or judgment. Well justice that would be a true statement too. He's executing judgment on the works of the devil. Because it's a product of the spiritual death that is now ruling over the God system. Was then still is now. So he's executing judgment on sickness and disease. He's executing judgment on poverty and lack. He's executing judgment on failure and inadequacy. 
He's executing judgment on everything that we can identify as a part of Satan's kingdom for the corruption of God's original system. Now, why did he have authority? Why was he given authority to execute judgment upon those things? Because he was the son of man. Another way to say that is because he was born of a woman. Again, that's why the virgin birth was so important. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says the thief climbs up some other way. He didn't come in, enter into the earth legally. The devil is an illegal alien. He's an illegal alien. Now look with me over to Mark chapter 5. I'll have to cut some of this short for the sake of time. But notice with me over in Mark chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 1. And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And he was come, when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, there was no relent, it was relentless, it was no letting up. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, thou Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God. Here's the, the case I was telling you before. I didn't know we'd get there. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For Jesus had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Seems to be one in charge of a group. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh or near under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see that which was done. And when they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Notice that phrase. He was possessed with the devil. One had possession. And there was the presence of many others. When they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. Isn't it interesting how they got afraid when they saw him in his right mind? Now, here's the, here's the point I want you to see. Here's the devil speaking again. I say the devil. I'm talking about evil spirits under the devil's authority. To some degree, he's under the devil. They're under the devil's uh, direction. But don't get the idea that the devil has a highly organized system. There's nothing about the devil that's organized. I see the devil's system and evil spirits operating in the world as a chaotic mess. Some working against others. Because everything the devil touches, he corrupts. So he can't have a highly organized system. He can't be what he tells you that he is. One of the reasons we know is because he tells you how organized and how powerful and how together he is. 
Well, he's a liar and the father of lies, so that means whatever he's telling you about himself can't be true. So here's the evil spirit in this man calling out to Jesus. And notice what the request is. The request is, if you're going to send us out of the man, let us stay in this area. Send us not away out of this country. He said, let us at least have a place in the pigs. Now hold your finger here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus told us some things about evil spirits that I think is important for us to recognize. Matthew chapter 12. Well, I didn't write it down. Let me pull it up. Let's start reading in uh, verse 43. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. He's telling us what happens when an evil spirit is dislodged or cast out from whatever body he was inhabiting. He said an evil spirit will walk through dry places seeking for rest. What brings an evil spirit rest? We know that they're waiting for something specific. We've gotten two occasions with many others we could look at, but we've seen two occasions already where evil spirits have cried out and asked if Jesus was here to destroy them in one case and another case to torment us before the time. They know there's a time coming when they'll be destroyed cast into the lake of fire with Satan they know this it's good for you to know that see the devil wants to talk to you about how he's going to hinder you in your future you need to be equipped to talk to him about his future now isn't it interesting that the Bible gives us repeated examples of where the devil talks about the time when they will be destroyed. That seems to be first and foremost on their mind, doesn't it? I'm sure if that was my, in the cards for me, it probably would affect my thinking too. So the only thing that's going to bring an evil spirit rest is the opportunity to have expression here in this realm, this earthly realm. And please get this, folks. The devil, unless he inhabits someone or influences their, the misuse of their authority, the devil has no place whatsoever in this realm. None whatsoever. Jesus did not treat the devil with a lot of respect. He did not treat the devil as an equal enemy. He did not consider the devil to be a worthy adversary. He answered him with the word and commanded evil spirits to shut up and come out. The devil, evil spirits, were not even par with Jesus. 
Yeah, but that was Jesus, some would say. And Jesus was the son of God. Well, yeah, Jesus was the son of God. But he laid aside his divine power to come to the earth to be a man. See, when Jesus was operating here on the earth, he was no more a man than you are. He was no more the son of God than you as a born-again believer are. That's hard for us to accept because we've thought contrary to that truth for so long. But the Bible says you're a joint heir with Christ. That means you're still in his image and his likeness. That means you're an heir, co-equal with him in authority here on the earth. Actually, a better way to say that is you're co-equal with his authority when he was here on the earth. Jesus has no authority on the earth now except through the body of Christ. Or maybe a better way to say that is he has no way to exercise the authority that he has in heaven and in earth. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He has the opportunity to exercise his authority in heaven without any help. But if he's going to exercise any authority in the earth, it has to be through his body. You've got to have a body to have authority here on the earth. The only body Jesus has on the earth now is you. So the only thing that brings an evil spirit rest is access into this realm. Think of the prison that God delivered them unto. He put them in a realm that they have no access into. So they scramble, they work, they labor to find someone that will yield to their influence so that they can have some form of expression in this world. So much so that the legion said, we'll take the pigs. But since animals operate on instinct instead of will, as soon as the devil entered into them, they ran violently down the steep place into the sea and killed themselves. I think the pigs had more spiritual insight than a lot of Christians do when it comes to the devil's influence and yielding thereof. So, back to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he says, I will return into my house. Notice he calls it his house. Now, it's not his house. It's the house of whoever it was that he was trying to inhabit or formerly inhabited. But he's treating it like it's his house. When we yield to the devil's influence, the devil claims our bodies as his own. I'm not talking about possession. I'm talking about demonic influence. I'm talking about his attitude toward it. Oh, if we could see and understand what yielding to the devil's influence really does and the spiritual effect that it causes, I believe we'd stand stronger against the enemy. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Notice it's clean, it's empty, but it hadn't been filled up with anything else. Now, what should this house have been filled up with? The word of God. 
through the renewing of the mind. So then he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. He's talking about the importance of renewing our mind to the word as a defense against the enemy and the enemy's influence. Now, let me close with this. I'm already out of time, way out of time. But where the devil is talking about, the enemy talked about, uh, the evil spirits talked about to Jesus several times about being destroyed before the time. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 20. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus uh, delegated his authority to the 70. He sends them out and tells them to go into whatsoever city they enter. If the city receives them, then to heal the sick that are in and tell them the kingdom of God has come nigh. Well, the 70 returned in verse 17. The 70 returned with great joy and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Now, Jesus had not said anything about casting out devils, but since they were with Jesus on a daily basis, I'm sure they had seen Jesus cast out devils many times. So when they came upon situations where the devil was exerting his, himself, they cast him out, and they found out that the devils were subject to them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, he responds, and he says, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Now, he can't be saying, I just saw Satan fall when you used my name. So what is he talking about? Well, he has to be talking about when Jesus defeated the enemy, God defeated the enemy and cast out the devil with a third of his angels. He was cast into the earth. That was before the creation account. When God put man in the Garden of Eden and said dress and keep, which means guard and protect the garden, Satan was already here. It's an interesting thought, worth considering, I believe, to realize that God was not concerned about the presence of Satan. Well, if God wasn't concerned about the presence of Satan, then we shouldn't be concerned about the presence of Satan. God knows that what he gave man was sufficient to overcome the devil's influence if he hadn't misused his authority. How much more do we have what we need to overcome the devil's influence since we've been born again and given the authority in the name of Jesus? So many people are trying to get rid of the devil. Don't be concerned about getting rid of him. Just exercise authority over him. So Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Nevertheless, in this, rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you, but rejoice because your names are written down in heaven. In other words, he said, having authority over the devil is a good thing, but don't get carried away by that. Realize that your relationship with God is the key key of primary importance. Well, Revelation chapter 12 tells us about when Satan was cast down to the earth. It tells us about God's plan of redemption. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about the day that the enemy is destroyed. And I saw an angel, verse 1, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, And bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. 
And after that, he must be loose for a little season. Skip down with me to verse 7. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. He's talking about the battle of Armageddon. Now, folks, I want you to notice something. There's only one work the devil can do, and that's deception. It says that when the devil was cast into the bottomless pit, the end result was that he should deceive the nations no more for that thousand years. We call that thousand years the millennium. But as soon as he's let loose, he goes back to his own work, his old work, the only work that he can do, the only work that he ever does, which is to deceive. Now, we could substitute for the word deceive. We could substitute for the sake of our discussion. It would hold true in in nearly, if not every case. To deceive is an attempt to get you to misuse your authority. Because without your authority, he has none of his own. This deception is talked about specifically has to do with the deception upon Gog and Magog. Russia and the leader of Russia to wage war. Well, if Gog and Magog knew what the end result of that war was going to be, if they weren't deceived by the devil, there's no way they'd enter into it. Nobody is that stupid. But again, notice the devil's one and only one work is deception to try to gain access to man's authority. He has none of his own. So we go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, talking about Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Here's the devil's future. Here's the evil spirit's future. This is why they're saying to Jesus, I know who you are. You have the power as the Holy One of God to destroy us. Is that why you've come? So they were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented. Notice what destruction is. It's not the ceasing of existence. When it comes to the devil and evil spirits. They were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And shall be tormented day and night. Forever. And ever. Now my mind can't understand how long forever and ever is. But it's a pretty good, pretty good stretch. This is one reason why Paul, I believe Paul said for our light affliction which does affect us for a little time, worketh in us a far more exceeding weight of glory. In other words, he's saying the devil has an opportunity to hinder us for a little time here on the earth. But there's going to be forever and forever torment on him. I think that's a fitting punishment, don't you? So what is the devil doing 
between now and that point in time when they're cast into the lake of fire. He's trying to deceive you about who you are, about what belongs to you, about the power of God that's been given to you in the name of Jesus so that you misuse your authority. How do we misuse our authority? Well, remember we referred to Numbers chapter 14 earlier? God said this is the unchanging law. It will be this way forever and ever. And folks, it's not just this way while we're here on the earth. It will be this way forever and ever, meaning eternity. This is the way it works in heaven. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. He tries to get you to use your mouth, your tongue, your lips to speak words contrary to God's word. Remember, that was his original question to Eve. Has God said? He's trying to deceive her, to misuse her authority, to speak and act contrary or in opposition to what God said. It all comes down to the word. Here's what I mean specifically. You, through the exercise of your authority, the speaking of God's word, can deport Satan and every bit of his illegal activity against you. You can deport him from your life. You can stop him and destroy his works against you, just like Jesus came to the earth to destroy the works of the devil. That has to be true. It has to be true. See, folks, there is a very real or else where the devil is concerned. A very real or else. Can I tell you one story before we go? Jesus told about one vision. uh, I'm sorry. Brother Hagin told about one vision he had of Jesus. And of all the visions... And all the things that he learned from Jesus, this is one that I think it stands out with me more than any of the others. And I'm just starting to gain some insight into why it had such an impact on me. Brother Hagin was ministering in a small church, a little small church. And at that time, he was operating, it was kind of early in his ministry, and he was operating in, with the healing anointing in his hands. But when the Lord first appeared to him and gave him the healing anointing, he told him that it was an anointing to heal the sick, but that he was to lay his hands on people in a very specific way, one hand on their front and one hand on their back. He said, if that anointing that you feel in your hands jumps from hand to hand, it's the presence of an evil spirit. Now, later on, he began to operate in discerning of spirits, so it didn't work that way for the entirety of his ministry. But at that point in time, it was that way. There was a man that came to the service, came up at the end of the service in the healing line. And he was, he had, I don't remember what the condition was. If Brother Brother Hagen ever said what the condition was, I don't recall it. But it was something that kept the man from being able to bend over. He was stiffened in such a way that there was no way he could bend over at the waist. Well, Brother Hagen laid his hands on him the way the Lord told him to, one in front, one in back. And he said that anointing began to jump from hand to hand. He said, so I knew it was the presence of an evil spirit. 
So he did what the Lord had instructed him to do, what he always did. And that was he broke the power of the devil over this man, commanded him to leave, depart from his body. And then he said to the man, now bend over and see if you can touch your toes. The man tried and couldn't get any results. Wasn't able to move. Brother Hagin laid hands on him again, felt it jump from hand to hand, which means the evil spirit's still there. So he did the same thing again, commanded him to leave his body, depart. Then he said the same thing to the man. He said, now bend over and see if you can touch your toes. Nothing happened. The third time, he did it all over again, laid his hands on his front and his back. That anointing jumped from hand to hand, presence of the evil spirit still there. Brother Hagin commanded it to leave and go. And then told the man, same thing, bend over and see if you can touch your toes. Man wasn't able to do anything. No results. First time that it never worked for Brother Hagin. He said, I was dumbfounded. He said, I didn't know what to do. So he said, I just tried to put a, the best face I could on it. Well, praise God. Go rejoicing. The healing power of God's been ministered to you. He said, all the time I'm asking on the inside, Lord, what is it, what's going on with this? Why didn't it work? Brother Hagin had been down on the floor ministering to the guy, so he turned around and went back up toward the pulpit. And he said when he got to the pulpit, he turned around, and Jesus is standing right there in front of him, between him and the congregation. And Jesus said, I told you that when that anointing jumped from hand to hand, it was the presence of an evil spirit. And that when evil spirits are in operation, you are to break their power in my name and command them to go. Now, Brother Hagin, nobody in the congregation sees what's going on. Brother Hagin's having a conversation with Jesus. And so he said, yeah, Lord, I know you told me that. And I told him to go, but he wouldn't go. He said, Jesus looked at him again. He said, it was like fire flashed from his eyes. He said, I said. That when that anointing jumps from hand to hand, it's the presence of an evil spirit. And you are to take authority over him and cast him out in my name. Brother Hagin very meekly said, Lord, I know that's what you said. And that's what I did. And I told him to go, but he didn't go. Jesus looked at Brother Hagin again. This time he said it was like lightning coming out of his eyes. And Jesus almost screamed. He took his finger right in Brother Hagin's face. He almost touched his nose. He said, I almost screamed in his face. I said he would. And disappeared. Brother Hagin said, I stood there for about two seconds, and then all of a sudden it hit me. He said, now this little guy had been making his way back to the, his seat. He said, I jumped down off the platform, came back to where I was, and said to that man, hey, you, you, brother, come back down here. Come back down here. He said, I'm standing there waiting, just standing on edge, waiting for him to get close enough to me. He said, when he came to me again, I put my hands on his front and his back. That anointing jumped from hand to hand. He said, I commanded that thing to go in the name of Jesus. And this time, he said, I changed what I said to the man. This time I said, bend over and touch your toes in the name of Jesus. The man was set free and was able to bend over all the way to the floor. Now, what made the difference? The only difference was the first three times Brother Hagin said, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. The last time 
He treated it as if it was done. He said, bend over and touch your toes in the name of Jesus. Folks, we need to realize and have an understanding that we have authority over the devil. And we need to exercise that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. We thank you that we've given authority over evil spirits to dislodge the work of the devil, to break the power of the devil in every respect. We recognize that the devil is an illegal alien operating against us. And we commit ourselves, Father, to refuse to accept his influence, to misuse our authority in any way whatsoever. Satan, we serve notice on you. We recognize that you are a defeated foe. That you are powerless to operate in this world. Powerless to operate against us. When we stand against you in the name of Jesus. Therefore we declare. That everything pertaining to the law of sin and death. Sickness. Disease. Poverty. Every aspect, every characteristic of spiritual death is broken over our lives. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free. We determine now as an act of our will and with the words of our mouth. We determine that we will walk in the freedom that Jesus has provided for us. Never again will we allow you to rob us of what Jesus purchased. Never again will we yield our authority to you to operate contrary to the will of God and the word of God. We command you to go in the name of Jesus. Take your hand off of our finances in Jesus' name. Take your hand off of our businesses in Jesus' name. Take your hand off of our bodies in Jesus' name. We declare that we are free in every way. For the scripture says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We are free indeed. In Jesus' name. If you agreed with that and said these things within your heart along with me, I want you to say amen. amen. Hallelujah. The devil is no match for you. Did you hear me? The devil is no match for you. Because you're in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees a believer, a part of God's family. He hopes you don't know who you are. We need to school him on that. We need to let him know for sure, once and for all, that we know who we are. In Jesus' name. 
Well, you better stand so I don't keep preaching. Hallelujah. It's good to be free. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I don't feel free. I keep seeing the image of Jesus putting his finger in Brother Hagin's face and screaming in his right in front of him saying, I said he would. I can see those lightning flashes from his eyes. <laughs> Say it with me. I'm free, I'm free from all the power of the devil. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.